James chapter 3, 13 to 18. Soundness of soul from the inside out. This is part 11. And the title is Divine Wisdom or Demonic Wisdom. Which seed are you sowing in the garden of your life? 3.13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast. Those have to be just the goofiest words, don't they? I mean, who's going to boast about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? Don't boast about those things. And of course, we don't boast in the sense of running around saying, look at me, I'm full of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, and I'm just so proud of it. That, that's not what James is talking about. What, what he's talking about is living from a stance, a life that is driven by ambition that's totally selfish, but not calling it selfish ambition. We, we would prefer to say, I, I did it my way, you know, or I'm a, I'm a self-made person. Nobody handed me anything in life. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I made my life what it is today. And when you put it that way, well, it just doesn't sound like selfish ambition. It sounds like industriousness, uh, diligence, character. Or the bitter jealousy part where, where... my motive for doing something, you don't see it, but what drives my life in some way is I want to be as good as somebody else. I want that position. I want that, I want that kind of recognition. I want that kind of recognition. And so in simply not calling these things what they are, if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts. That's why he says, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Why does he have to say that? Because we can equate some of these things actually with godliness. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual. I wish he hadn't put this word in, demonic. Apparently, the demonic isn't always, doesn't always come out the way, you know, if you're as old as I am. It doesn't always manifest like, you know, Rosemary's baby or, or the exorcist. 16, for where, again, jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So these things are like, fertilizer for vile practices. But the wisdom from above is first pure, 
So there's this kind of an order here. First, pure, then peaceable. So it's not peace at all costs. First, pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray together. When we came into this place, we sang at the very beginning about everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. And that, that isn't the lyric created by a worship leader trying to get churches to sing loud. That command, everything that has breath, praise the Lord, that's, that's from the Bible. That's a biblical quote. The idea being, Lord, that the reason you give us breath is first of all that our mouths and hearts would speak and shape praise to the glory of God. And so the psalmist said, I slept and awake, awoke because you sustained me. And that's why we're here. You gave us this breath. And if your word is true at all, the first reason you gave us breath today is that we might give you praise. Praise the Lord forever. Praise the Lord forever. And how we love your word and how we need your Holy Spirit to teach us on this side of the pulpit and the other, we all need your Holy Spirit to teach us and form our hearts, form our hearts in godly wisdom today. And, and as James cautions, help us not to form any arguments against your word today. Help us not to form any arguments against your word today, either by past experience or theological knowledge or expertise or difficult circumstances that can make us brittle inside, but that we would all be uh, meek and humble, shapeable, like, like clay in the hands of a potter. And so, and so shape my life, shape our lives, just in any way you would like. Now, if that's the desire of your heart, stick the amen on the end of that, Okay? Amen. Not many people want to be thought of as fools. In our hearts, I think we want to be people of wisdom, even if we don't have the right idea of what wisdom is. I don't think that's the, uh, the uh, quality of just religious people or Christian people. I think all people want to be thought of as wise, and we want to be perceived as walking in wisdom. And if God's word is taken seriously, apparently that's a good goal. Proverbs, how much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. I don't know about you, but every second commercial I see on TV is telling me I need to buy silver. Are you noticing that? And gold. And the Bible comes on the scene and says, it, it, it would come on the screen of your flat panel. If, you could just, if God could just send a text right at that point. No, Don, you don't need silver, you don't need gold. Your deepest need is wisdom. How much better to get wisdom than gold? 
To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. And so to emphasize wisdom's priority even more, James has already actually put it at the top of our prayer list. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So there you have it. Now, the interesting thing is, it all seems so easy. I like this. Lack wisdom, ask, and God gives. Perfect. There shouldn't be a foolish Christian on earth, should there? How does God give wisdom? You ask, and God gives it. How, how does he give it? I mean, have you ever actually thought through that question? Do, does someone come to your door, FedEx? You, oh, yes, for wisdom? Here it is, same day. Does it, does it just happen as you're praying, and, and you just get sort of infused, and you become wise? Does, does God give wisdom the way your doctor gives you uh, I was going to say a vaccine, but I guess that's a dirty word. You've got to be really careful which side of the fence you're on with that stuff. A shot? Can you grab it at some divine drive-thru on your way Friday to uh, the movies? Is that how wisdom comes? Or... And this is what I think is closer to the truth. I think God gives wisdom the same way God gives patience. And we know that, and that's why almost never do we actually pray and ask God to give us patience, because we know what's coming. Right? The way God gives you patience is he sends all sorts of people you don't like into your life. And how else, how else would you get patience? Patience. Because patience isn't given like a Christmas present. Patience comes like you exercise a muscle. Or courage. How does God give courage? Perhaps he grows wisdom in my life the same way he grows faith in my life. Like putting me in situations where I have to learn to wait and trust and resist doubts and fears and push back indifference. And learn to trust faith. It's amazing to see the way James speaks of wisdom and faith in almost the same terms. That's one of the nice things about the book of James. James was a pastor... And he seems to know how quickly and easily the, the biggest, most important words in the Christian faith can just become um, bent out of shape, pliable to whatever meaning we want to give them. Empty religious terminology, churchy slogans with no real specific freight attached to them. So wisdom and faith are alike in this sense. 
They're such big, general, common terms that they come to mean almost whatever the speaker wants them to mean. However we parse our sentence and wherever we stick those nouns, they take on a meaning of their own depending on how we use them. And it doesn't really matter because as long as you use those words, people will think you're pious. So about our faith, James has to remind us, well, what good is it, my brothers, 2.14, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith, not faith, but that faith, can that faith save him? Or, or 2.26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is, is dead. So to understand faith at all is to recognize that it isn't just something you talk about, it's something you show. Apart from works, faith, James says, it's just, it's just, it's nothing. It's dead, lifeless. James now, I hope you noticed in our text, he's going to rush on, having talked about faith in chapter 2, he's going to rush on and talk about wisdom And he's going to say the very same thing. 3.13, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Listen, let him show his works. That's what he did with faith, isn't it? Only now he's talking about wisdom. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So there are works that manifest faith. And there are works that manifest wisdom. So neither one is, is simply a matter of correct belief. That's what James is saying. There is the faith, which is the content of our Christian belief system. But faith exercised in the heart, well, it has to be, I use the verb right there, exercised, worked. I would get a gym membership. I go by and I look, and it, it just looks like a lot of work. Well, because that's what it is. So faith, wisdom, they're not matters of just correct theology. Theology is important. They're not just matters of jargon and talk. Faith and wisdom leave footprints in our lives. They're a, way of, they're a way of following Jesus in this world as Lord. This is where James is coming from as he opens up and expands on the subject of living in the good wisdom of God. <clears throat> Point number one. What do works of wisdom look like? He says in verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So he's talking about wisdom, and it has to be shown. So now we know it's works. But works done in a certain way, and the way that they're done is meekly. Let him show his works 
in the meekness of wisdom. Somehow the answer doesn't seem to correspond quite to the question. Who is wise and understanding among you? And you'd think this kind of wisdom and understanding would be shown in great knowledge. Who is wise and understanding? So, uh, great knowledge, great advice you might give people. Wise advice. That's how we think of it. And I suppose, I suppose that there are times when that's not untrue. You'd rather have advice from a wise person than advice from a fool. But even if those things are correct, they're never the main part of wisdom. You and I are to show wisdom in the works, uh, works in the meekness of wisdom. Godly wisdom, so says Pastor James, it's always, it's always expressed with meekness. There's a, there's a, a patience to it. There's a lack of impulsiveness. It's not strained. It's not rash. It doesn't come on like gangbusters. There's a meekness to it. But why? Why, why this special seal, this envelope of meekness all around godly wisdom? Well, James has actually given us a clue already in this letter. That's what I want to show you now. In 1, 19 to 21, this is why, right here, this is why when James talks about godly wisdom, the wisdom that comes down from above, the first thing he says about it is there's a meekness manifested in it. And immediately, I'm thinking, why not understanding? Why not wise counsel? Why not knowledge? Why not a host of things that we could attach to wisdom? Why does he just fasten meekness to it? That's, that's the question, and here's the answer. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Right? Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive the wisdom that comes down from above. Receive with, see it? Meekness. What are we to receive? Well, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. To be wise, I must become wise. No one is born wise. To to be wise, I must become wise. To walk in wisdom with the works of wisdom, I must receive wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. James made that clear in verse 5 of chapter 1. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Don't just go out and get a set of encyclopedias. You go to God for wisdom. God gives wisdom. It's a divine commodity. There's a a God-givenness to wisdom. We can all accumulate knowledge. You You can Google anything. 
Let me, let me, be, even, let me even be more, more radical. You can be knowledgeable in this book right here without ever walking in wisdom. And that's why he attaches this idea of, of humbly or humbly receive the implanted word, meekness. Receive the implanted word with meekness. This is where it comes from, but it, but it has to come to people who, who have already submitted their own attitudes, their own selfish ambitions, their bitter jealousies, the pettiness that comes inside all of us, the way we justify our current lifestyle and resist change. All of that has to be just subsumed when this word comes and we just humbly say, oh, oh, this is the right thing. This is the way. I'm done with the counsel of the ungodly because... This is the way. And it takes a great deal of meekness to properly receive the implanted word. It takes meekness. It takes humility. And that's where wisdom comes from. And that's why when James says wisdom has to be meek, because it comes from God, and it means submitting our own agenda. God gives it through his word. We read it. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. So here's where we're at. James says, wisdom is revealed in my life through works done in meekness. Wisdom comes from God and only to those who receive his word with a humble, meek, submissive spirit. So far, so good. To be wise, I must become wise. To become wise, I must be meek and humble in receiving his word. But as you keep reading James in our text, he isn't just writing about meekness before God. That's the starting place for receiving wisdom. But the whole text today that we read is about relationships, works of wisdom in the body of Christ. Selfish ambition, bitter jealousy. That's with people. And James' whole point is is simply that wisdom with others is is the overflow of, of receiving the wisdom from above. You do it with a meek heart, a teachable heart. And then it gets manifested in the same spirit of meekness that received the word... That's the same spirit of, weak, of meekness that walks in wisdom with, with irritating people like me, like you, in the body of Christ. Arrogant, proud, self-assertive people. Remember at the beginning where James says, don't be proud of those things. I talked about that, how we deceive ourselves. Those kind of people can never receive wisdom from God Hence, they can never walk in wisdom and do works of wisdom with others. Oh, they might be able to get their own way. They might exercise influence. They might have authority. They might have arguments that they win. They can maybe push to the front of the line, but they can never be wise with people. Point number two. 
Just as there are counterfeits to genuine faith, there are counterfeits to genuine wisdom. This is what he's getting at in those interesting verses, 14, 15, and 16 of chapter 3. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Now, when James contrasted genuine faith with dead faith, he gave some clear examples of what dead faith is. Dead faith is someone comes to your door needing food and clothing and you say, God bless you, brother. Boom. And so James says, there, that's what dead faith looks like. It's talk, be blessed, well-fed, keep warm, praying for you. Look out for that snowbank. That's what false faith, dead faith looks like. And now James is going to give a picture of phony wisdom. If there's bitter jealousy... Selfish ambition. Don't boast and be false to the truth. Well, how do, we, how do we know there's no wisdom here? We know there's no wisdom because there's no meekness. Selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy. So we know it didn't come from God. That's what James says. In fact... Quite the opposite. Not only is it not from God, James says, this is the kind of stuff demons love to get dispense. Then how can people, people like James describes in these verses, full of selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, how can they even think that there's a shred of divine wisdom in them? Well, because. Because you can frequently make selfish ambition work in the body of Christ. You can get results. People can be motivated by bitter jealousy, sometimes just anger, bitterness, resentment, ill will toward people. Those things can flourish in a church. James isn't saying they aren't there. He just says, this didn't, didn't come down from above. There's another source to all this stuff, James says. Selfish ambition, bitter jealousy. People can get their way with those things. They can make their case. They can change what others do. There's a certain power in that kind of earthly behavior. We've been learning it since we were children, fighting for the same dump truck in the sandbox. And apart from more and more time, lots of time being rewired, reprogrammed from God's Word, a lot of times earthly wisdom can seem just the very best way to get things done, period. Isn't it interesting how often we talk about conversion without recognizing there's a verb part. 
conversion converts people. It converts them from what they used to be into something else. That's what convert is. Take your money, you're going to take Canadian money, and you're going to convert it into American. You get something different. You got an app on your phone, and you can say something in English, and you're a foreign country, and you hit translate, and it'll convert it into Italian or Spanish. The gospel of Jesus Christ comes, and it takes people who are sinners, and it converts them into something different. That's sadly uh, neglected sometimes. And that's why right out of the gate, James says, if there isn't meekness and purity in my works with others, don't boast and be false to the truth. Don, tell yourself the truth about what's really going on in your heart. Look at how some of the other translations work that 14th verse. I'll just read them to you. New King James. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Here's the NIV. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Notice how we can rename selfish ambition into wisdom. Then we can safely harbor it with a quiet conscience. NASB, New American Standard, sorry, Bible. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and so lie against the truth. And so these words, they they put a whole new spin on those words from Romans, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Don't, Don't lie against the truth. If your works manifest nothing but self assertiveness, and boasting, and you're, and you're motivated even for a season by bitterness, cruelty, meanness, slander toward other people. If you have to get your own way, if you nurse your grudges instead of repenting of them, if you don't manifest the kind of meekness with others that you see in Jesus, then for goodness sakes, James says, stop lying to yourself about it. Stop lying yourself about it. James knows my heart, doesn't he? He knows yours, too. I have to be brutally honest in this process of exposing false wisdom, worldly wisdom in my life. There's a, there's a kind of world outlook. There's, there's a way of looking at life that seems wise only when you look just short-term. There's a kind of nice-to-savor pride in ambition and power. They seem to work. I can get my way without sacrificing anything for the kingdom of Christ and the eternal blessing of others. It's very appealing, and it's habit-forming living like that. And that's why if I want God's wisdom at work in my life, It always comes with this price tag of telling myself the truth about my own self-deception, my own greed, my own desire for influence, power, whatever it might be, meekness, God's counterintuitive way of wisdom. Perhaps an easier way to think of it is this. Where godly wisdom is, 
Strife and contention isn't. That's what James is saying. Do you know that just in the United States alone, I I didn't get the stat for Canada, experts say that this year, 17,000 churches will split. 17,000 churches will split. I'm not talking church plants, okay? We might call them that after the fact. I'm talking church splits, fights. I'll tell you something. If you took the time and you could just travel to those 17,000 churches... I know that if you talk to the people involved, they will tell you there was no other way out and they were all contending for their faith that God led them to do what they did. But do any of us honestly believe that every single one of those 17,000 church splits was the result of divine wisdom that's meek and pure? All of them? Well, what's happening here? Well, people aren't telling themselves the truth. People like me, people like you, we we cover up pride and selfish ambition. We are good at spiritualizing things, making our own agendas, looking holy, protecting our own wills. James would say they're lying against the truth, and there's no wisdom because there's no meekness. Here are some clues for spotting genuine wisdom at work. Genuine wisdom, godly wisdom from above, it knows the difference between personal preferences and genuine biblical principles. Personal preferences and genuine biblical principles. Here's the difference. Anything I like is a genuine biblical principle. Anything you like, that's just a preference. That's how you'll always know um, the difference. No, we're all like that. We're all like that. Here's another clue. Genuine wisdom can be absolutely poised firmly against sin, and it can still have compassion on the one trapped in sin. You won't get anybody who's more firmly, I think, uh, has been teaching in a pretty public setting in a fairly large church that I, that I think... Um, the idea of, of same-sex intercourse and same-sex marriage is unscriptural and sinful and always will be. But I'll tell you, I just, I just cringe when I see some of the things, you've seen them, billboards outside of different churches and the things that are said about the gay community. I just think, I don't, I don't want anybody to even think that I'm in that crowd. Everybody understand what I'm saying? So it can be poised firmly against sin and have compassion to the one trapped in sin. Genuine wisdom knows how to look and see if I'm generating more strife and contention in the body of Christ than I am healing and patience. Oh, how we need to pay close attention to James' diagnosis in these verses. Three. How wisdom works inside my life and how it works on the outside of my life. We're almost done. 
17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This just might be the best roadmap for a wisdom-filled life in the whole New Testament. So, so James has been pondering the issue for a while, looking at it from all angles, and this is the best he can do to sum up. Do you want to know if you're a wise person? Do you want to know if you're full of wisdom? Not the wisdom of this world, not the kind that's driven by selfish ambition or jealousy or bitterness or anger or a competitive spirit or pride. But do you want to know if you're full of the kind of wisdom that comes down from above, the kind that comes from God himself? Here's what to look for. Meek, godly wisdom does two things at the same time in my life. One of them is inside. One of them is outside. On the inside, godly wisdom makes me deathly serious about personal holiness and purity in my own life. The wisdom from above is first of all pure. Pure. On the inside, genuine wisdom errs on the strict side. Never on the easy or the appealing side of my walk with the Lord. Wisdom values purity over popularity, holiness over convenience. Are you a wise person? You'll be constantly on the lookout for things that have the greatest potential to make your life impure before the Lord, even if other Christians engage in them. On the outside, godly wisdom is helpful and gentle with others who struggle with purity and don't yet hold to mature Christian convictions. Godly wisdom won't hammer people into the ground. It will be ruthless with impurity in here, and it will be helpful and patient with impurity out there. Everybody see the difference there? That doesn't mean, lest somebody be confused, that doesn't mean I change my own standards with every way the wind blows or I don't hold to what the Word teaches. But it does mean that I'm patient and tender-hearted, even with those who have messed up their lives, mocking the very standards that I hold dear. It'll be like Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. How many know, like, there's just no way Jesus would make light of adultery. Are we all agreed on that? And all these people want to stone her. These people who are sinners want to stone her. Jesus, who is absolutely pure, I like to picture him, first of all, helping her up from the ground. (laughs) Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Not just go. Go and sin no more. But there's something in... I want to be like that. I want to be like that with hurting people. 
I want to be like that. People that need good advice. People need to hear God's word. I don't want to compromise what God's word says. But I want to be able to say to anybody who comes to the front of this church, I don't care what the sin is. I want to be able to go up to them and say, you know what? I might not have committed that sin, but I'm a sinner too. In the name of Jesus, just go and sin no more. Oh, there's room for persuading. There's room with people who aren't repentant to make them see what the Bible says. I'm not down, I'm not turning the dial down on any of that. I'm talking about people that, that want to come, that want to find grace, that want to find mercy. What a great pattern. Tough on personal impurity, gracious and patient and forgiving with the immaturity of others. There, James says. That's the kind of wisdom that comes down from up there. It's not the kind that bubbles up from down there. And then in this closing reminder, James points out one specific step. Do you want to be wise this morning? Now you know it's a trick question, so none of you are going to put your hand up. I want to see what you're saying next, Pastor Don. So if you want to be wise this morning, James is pretty good at wrapping up this little passage. Do you want to make the rest of your days on earth good? I love, I love this idea, this uh, harvest. Harvesting God's blessing. This idea of a seed. Do you want to start harvesting God's blessing, multiplying it the way a seed multiplies when you put it into the soil? Then find that one person, or perhaps two, with whom you know you need to make peace and go and do it. And James says, you know what that is? It's like taking seed and putting it in the soil, and the rest of your days is going to be good stuff that's going to start growing. Pure, You want to be tough on sin? Start here. Gracious and merciful with the needs of repentant sinners. Find the one person you need to make peace with and make it. Everyone said? Let's pray.